our podcast, Star Trek The Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. I'm glad to be back, you know, for this episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been all it, it's we've been anxious for right. the for the next one after this hiatus. But I think I think this has really paid off. I think this they came back with a lot of energy. Oh yeah, it was really a powerful episode. Right. So today we're going to provide comments on episode 10 entitled Despite Yourself. So here's the main plot. This episode takes up the story where we left off at the end of episode 9. The crew of the Discovery find themselves in a mirror universe similar to the one we were first introduced to in the famed Mirror Mirror episode in the second season of the original series. This universe exists uh, under the brutal rule of the Terran Empire. They're barbaric, xenophobic humans who use terror and brutality to oppress other beings who dare to challenge their power. Opposing the Terrans is this unlikely alliance of Klingons, Vulcans, and Andorians. We later learn that in this world, Captain Sylvia Tilly, Cadet, Cadet thank you, Gary, Cadet Sylvia Tilly is Discovery's captain. Captain Gabriel Lorca is a wanted is wanted as a traitor to the Empire, and Burnham is the captain of the Shenzhou, who is presumed dead in a mission in an attempt to capture Lorca. Lorca tells the crew their first priority must be to go into survival mode, which means they must adopt, adapt their appearance and seem like they belong to this universe. He also comes up with a plan in which Burnham and Lorca take on the roles of their mirror counterparts in order to gain access to information that supposedly would allow them to allow them the opportunity to get back to their own universe. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, before we really get into the episode, I think we should first commend the director Jonathan Franks. Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah for you know, to. for it's and we're going to thank him for his command of this episode filled with action as well as nuances that is more likely to come from someone like him who has a deep appreciation and knowledge of Star Trek lore. However, that does not mean we are inferring, as some reviewers have stated, that this episode is evidence the showrunners and writers are finally listening to the fans and they are finally getting it right. This season's episodes um, have been filmed and edited for broadcast for quite some time, so no amount of fan criticism could have changed the storyline or the characters. Also, we contend, the power of this episode is the cumulative effect of all the episodes that preceded it. We cared about these characters and what they may or, and what may or may not happen to them because the previous episodes created a compelling story arc and complex characters we wanted to follow. As we have previously stated in, in prior podcasts, this <coughs> series unfolds like a novel yep. in which one must give the creative team a chance to show you the entire work, in this case, all the episodes of season one, you, you must really see that before you fully can analyze the show. 
that's why we don't spend uh, a lot of time pointing out so-called inconsistencies, such as in a character like Captain Lorca, until we are able to determine his true objective for his character. Right. In fact, I think that's been part of the challenge that other people have had when they've looked at the show. They've presumed that inconsistent activity or inconsistent actions on the part of a character are based on the writing and not on the commenter truly not understanding what the motivation of the of the characters are. Specifically in the case of Lorca. Lorca is somebody who, from the moment we first meet him, is presented to, to us as a mysterious figure. He, he, he even comments on that himself. And it has not let up throughout the entire run of the show. And so why he does one certain things in one episode and then does something completely opposite to that in another, another episode is less about the writing, per se, and more about what is he intending on trying to get out of this. Right. The perfect example is, in many cases, a number of people have, have cited how um, in Magic, to make the sanest man mad, he didn't seem to have any interest in the space whale doing anything for it. And it wasn't until he was made aware of the fact that it would have been in violation of Federation law rules, you know, as a captain that he decided, okay, we got to go do something about that. But a couple of episodes later, he's really concerned about saving the Povins. Again, this is an alien species why all of a sudden is he, is he concerned this time and not the previous time? And I think the thing you have to look at is, that. so what did he get out of defending the Pavans against the Klingons? What did he benefit from? from as opposed to, was there any integral benefit from him actually doing anything for the space whale? And I think that's answered in this episode. That's clearly because what we find out is the actions of of what they did leads to them actually being where they are. So let's d d dwell into that a little bit deeper. So Gary, why don't you go ahead and uh, talk about Lorca? Okay, so you know that at the end of episode 9, Into the Forest I Go, Lorca changes the coordinates at the last minute. He puts he overrides what was what was put into the spore drive as the destination and it's in the destination is unknown. It's listed as unknown. There's a there's a screenshot that I put up on the the WordPress site to show you this, and then the next thing you know is the des they they find themselves in a space in an area where they don't it doesn't look the way it's supposed to. Um, it's the coordinates are the the appropriate coordinates, however. It's, it seems to be out of place. And that's when, with greater investigation, Saru says, you know, that there's a frequency that's different between this, our ship and the frequency of the Vulcan rebel ship and the, uh, the other Federation ship that comes by. Um, in episode 10, as we remember, um, Lorca seems to have no knowledge of this. He's he's looking around. He's just as clueless as everybody else. He's um, acting like he's clueless. Yes, he appears to be just as clueless as everybody else on the bridge. He doesn't understand where we are um, that and how we got into this predicament. 
and and but Michael, but when Michael suggests that they examine the input of coordinates, it's quickly dismissed as um, as something that they don't need to do. And you can in tell fact, he, in fact, because that's when he's having his conversation with he and with 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 her. And Saru in his ready room. And you can tell by Michael's reaction <laughs> that this raises a red flag to her because right, right. it would be logical for you to go back and see where the coordinates right in the first place. Right, 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 right. Because he's he they're going off of the assumption that there was something that was an error about how the coordinates were put in as opposed to this is exactly where they were intended on going. And when you see that he overrode the original coordinates they're going to find out that, that that where they are now was a deliberate move and not something by accident. Yeah, a deliberate move, move by, by him. him. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So her suspicions are going to uh, seem to be raised again. And, then, and, and in fact, we find her doing that throughout the entire episode. There's another couple of scenes where Lorca seems to be more interested um, in his prolonging their stay in the mirror universe, then returning to their world. Because there's also a time um, constraint here. They did not transfer the codes to how they break the Klingon cloak before making that jump. So they have information that the Federation needs to end the war, and they can and they have to get it to them otherwise they're going to find themselves in a situation... They fear the Federation is going to find themselves defenseless against the Klingon ships. And so they have to do what they can to immediately get back or get back as quickly as possible so they can transfer that information to the rest of the Federation. But, but if you look at the way Jason Isaac, the, the actor who plays Gabriel Lorca, he plays it and it seems to lack any, any kind of concern, any, any urgency... To the predicament. Instead, he wants to relish in the situation that they seem to be in and try to find some um, way in which they can they can go through some kind of espionage of events that, that, that he wants to ultimately do in this universe. He comes up with the... Um, in fact, he has a conversation, a private conversation with Burnham where he talks about after they find out what the... what their mirror universe counterparts were like he they find out that <clears throat> burnham as you've said before was the captain of the shinzu that he was also in this universe the captain of the bernan the same ship that the prime universe Lorca was in charge of and he talks to her about destiny about two people having a destiny of coming together and she she disputes it. Oh yeah, yeah, straight up. She says, "Uh, oh. she says, no, it wasn't destiny that brought me to this ship. You, you did that. You did that." And she and it's really clear that she that she makes that statement. Um, and so she be, and and so he says, "Well, I guess we'll have to agree to disagree." But what what but what that scene does it builds on the interest that. Lorca has expressed in Burnham since the moment that she came on board the Discovery in, in Episode 3. Oh, definitely. And I want to get back a little bit more about the way the actor Jason uh, Isaacs really plays his part. And that is, he just really seems to relish 
playing this role in the mirror universe yeah. i mean he's just a little bit too eager so you know my favorite scene of him showing this is that okay so um michael you know again takes on this role of being the captain of the shinzu and she uh, you know due due to um Lorca's prompting you know acts as though Okay, I caught this guy. Right. You know, he's wanted by the Empire, and I'm going to bring him back to the Emperor. And so in order to for Lorca to look the part of somebody who's been captured, before he's presented to the crew of the Shinzu, he actually bashes his face against a wall to no, bloody it up. It's the door. Well, the door yeah. to bloody it up. Right. I mean, who would do that? He, he purposely injures himself so that he can look as if he's been injured by her. By her. And you he know. does it and he does it unflinchingly. Yeah, he 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 sees to relish doing it. Yeah, so well, well, yeah. It's also but but that's also an aspect of one of the other things that is said between them, between Burnham and Lorca in his ready room when they're looking out the window and he's talking about their destiny, prior to him crossing, looking out the window and her following him behind the desk, he's, he makes a comment about, wow, you know, I, I guess my hope of finding a better version of myself in here um, isn't going to come come true as if he thinks he's the darker version of Lorca and that this universe would have a have a more compelling more compassionate version that statement seems to be one of the ones that he lets go that gives you a clear indication that this is my assumption but I think we're we're going to eventually see this played out that this Lorca is from the mirror universe. Well, there's a lot of people's assumption. I mean, yeah. a lot of fans yeah. have, you know, have have made come to that conclusion that Lorca actually belongs to the mirror universe, right. and that's why he's really not anxious to leave because this is he's the one who brought well, them there. Well, and well, well, when we find out about what what the the mirror universe Lorca was doing, he attempts to take on the emperor and overthrow him and become emperor himself. That's the reason why the that's the reason why he, he uh Burnham, the mirror universe Burnham chase went after him and that's why they presumably ended up he's uh Lorca's missing and she's presumed dead. Right. So their con the connection between those two beings in this universe seems to be something that was predicated was motivating what Lorca was doing in the prime universe he captures her he gets her he gets her station on his ship right he expresses a great deal of interest in, in her being saved saved or being protected throughout the rest of the season so all of that kind of plays into this that they, that, he, that he has a, a a natural interest in her in fact he shows that later on in this in this episode and I, and I want to share with our listeners that, you know, both Gary and I suspect that there's probably history between the Mirror there's Burnham right, some and, you know, some romantic sexual, you know, thing. And so, you know, we'll just have to wait to see if our suspicion actually comes to fruition in future episodes. Right. But now let's turn to Ash Tyler. Oh, you mean Vok. Because there's no, there's no way that this is not... Vok. I mean, we had that was the worst. That's the worst secret that was kept. 
um, you saw too much evidence uh, that gave you the conclusion that this was Vok when he goes yet again to see Laurel in the brig and he opens her door after she requests it and they get they get like very close and she begins to quote the Klingon prayer to Kalos and he he recites it in the voice of Vok to the point and then when it comes to the point where he has to she asked him who is what's your name that's what breaks him I mean he they did everything walked up to the door they did everything but go turn the knob and go through the door to show us that he was Vok Oh, definitely. And so she even says, she gasps and she says something's wrong. Right, right, right. Because that was the clue. That was what was supposed to happen. She was supposed to go through the Klingon prayer to to Kalis. He (laughs) recites his parts, and that was supposed to be the thing that triggered him to have his his personality come in over come back in 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 charge over the Ash Tyler personality. And Tyler goes to you know he's he's distraught. He shoves her back into the to the to the, the cell and turns the force field back on. And he immediately goes to see Doctor Culber in sick bay, and at request that he, he he he's sure that there's nothing that was done to him, no no alterations that occurred to him because he keeps having these visions. He keeps having these these the 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 trauma of his what he thinks is torture, but what we're starting to suspect well, is no. actually surgery. Okay, okay. He remember back in the cell when he's talking to Laurel, he actually says surgery. He says surgery. He does but say surgery. But when he talks to Colbert, he says torture. He says torture because he doesn't want to admit, right. you know, right, 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 everything right. that he knows. Right, right. He well, wa- I, think, I, think, yeah. I think that was a slip of his. I don't think he even recognized it until that he had said that. I don't think the character was supposed to be cognizant, cognizant of, of, of what he was saying. But you're right. That word choice says something about the, about the circumstances. Right, right. That, that he knew that it was more right. than torture. Right. It was surgery that was augmenting him in some way. And so Colbert is trying to help him understand that the test they've already done cleared him. And that, in fact, much all the... the the Manchurian testing on his on what they said would have been called brainwashing back in the day, all that cleared him of any kind of 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 influence by the Klingons while he was imprisoned by them. But he Cobra acquiesces and he puts him on the on the sick bay bed and he takes him through a series of tests yet again just to prove it. And that's when things go um, they go in the opposite direction. Well, Colbert does receive these cryptic warnings yes. from his partner, Paul Stamets, who has been under medical care in right. sickbay. And that's because, if you recall, at the end of episode nine, he is, you know, close to death. Right. Stamets fa- is close he, to death. He, he does the jump. He falls out of the, the device, that, the, the, the spore drive, connection he falls out and he and they turn him over in his body and they see his eyes are milk milk covered over which you were saying is awfully familiar to 
to uh, the to the second pilot of the original series, right. uh, where you had Gary Mitchell, Gary Mitchell, right? Uh, who uh, you know um, he um, is somebody who is got they call them espers, but right. they're they espers people who were. Uh, you know who had the power of ESP, right. and you know both. I think both Gary and I are, are old enough to remember that at that time, you know, there was a lot of fascination with ESP. Right, and the power there, of the mind. There were TV shows and right. films that explored it, and so and so so this was very reminiscent the way his eyes glazed right. over, just like Gary Mitchell did, and he had this power. He became powerful. He became superhuman, and and and, yes. and, and Colbert. Mentions that because he has he talks about how his adrenalines are spiking, right? And so he has strength beyond what he normally should have, right? And Stamets even strikes out yeah, at Colbert, but you know Colbert knows that um, Stamets is kind of going in and out of this catatonic state, and he really doesn't know what he's doing. Right. So he put he he keeps him there in sick bed. He puts this force field around him. But anyway, Stamets does does have a couple of almost lucid moments. And in those moments, he tells, at one point, he tells Colbert to stay out of the palace. And then when, um, after Tyler returns again to see what were the results of this, the test, of this more testing, Stamets tells Colbert, the enemy is here. Right, right. And so, uh, however, Colbert really disregards these warnings as nonsensical utterings. Instead, he actually speaks frankly to Tyler about his condition. Right. He, so he, he tells him that in his second examination, he found that bones had been shortened. His spinal cord had been shrunk. So he, it, it's as if they took his body and they changed it physically. They altered the, the scarring that they thought was tortured that they had found on his organs actually seems to have been more surgical and actually looked as if it was done deliberately, not just in a, in a violent way of trying to torture him, for the sake of torture, that there was a reason behind that, that there was a well, that there was a changing cha- alteration of, of him in some fashion. His internal organs. The other thing is, he also seems to feel that there is, he perceives that there's a personality on top of another personality that they've that right from from the examine the second examination. Yeah. So whatever the original personality was, there was a new personality that was placed was on top placed of on it. it. And so he he's no longer even assured that Tyler is... Actually, Ash, Ash Tyler. Well, or, yes, right, right. And so right. who really, who, who Ash Tyler really is. And so Tyler came to Colbert really to have his fears assuaged, to, to have them removed because he's being, he, he was just picked by... Lorca to go on this uh, this mission with with Lorca and Burnham where he was going to serve as her personal guard and now Colbert is telling him no I'm going to I'm going to stop you from doing that you can't go anywhere right cuz they had to go deeper and look deeper right. at this issue because, because we as, as he said I don't even know who I don't know I can't even I don't know who you are right so we've got to actually proceed by keeping you here, you can't go on an away mission, and that's when, and so the revelation of that 
causes Tyler to hear um, again this this deeper have this deeper Klingon instinct take place. You hear you hear Vok's voice yet again in Tyler's head, and then the next thing you know, he's taken hold of of Culber and snaps his neck. So this to me and to most people watching it. I'm sure it is a horrific scene, uh, which I will confess I could not fully watch the first time we viewed this episode. You could tell something traumatic was about to happen because there was no way Colbert was going to be left intact after revealing that Tyler had been physically and mentally augmented. Now, I am sure most of you know by now that the showrunners have tried to quell any outcry about the death of this character by letting you know that Colbert will return, quote, okay, quote, unquote. However, even during the second time that I experienced this scene, this knowledge did not lessen the scene's intensity. Yeah, um, but still, uh, convincingly for the progress. Conven- or conveniently. Or, well, conveniently for the progress of the story. Um, Tyler immediately leaves sickbay and goes to the transporter room so that he can leave with Lorca and Burnham going to the mirror universe Shinzu, which is under the control of a Captain Connor. Connor being the helmsman, the, the ops person that died at the Battle of the Binaries when the, the, the gentleman who got, who was supposed to be sent to sickbay, who by accident ends up going to the brig, and he talks to Burnham while she's imprisoned. And then the next thing you know, there's a breach in the hull, and he goes out into space and is, and is killed. And is killed, right. So this version is now in charge of the ship. So anyways, as I stated before, both Gary and I quickly deduced Tyler was actually Vok. As soon after, soon after that character appeared in episode five, Choose Your Pain, when Tyler and Michael be- became attracted to each other, you knew such a relationship had no upside and would be destined to end in tragedy. Yeah. That prognosis definitely has not changed, especially with Tyler having murdered Colbert. Right. The writers have set up an Aristotelian tra- tragic uh, structure of tragedy which attempts to induce a sense of pity and fear in the audience, leading to catharsis. However, we must also credit the actors Sonequa Martin-Green and Shazad Latif for, cre- for creating such compelling characters. Yeah, you really have gotten to care for their plight, and you've gotten into the circumstances they've gone through. You, you've, you've watched as their relationship has grown but but and, just, it, and you can see why they were attracted to each yeah, other right, 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 because right. they're they're in many ways they're so much alike. Well, that's actually one thing that they played up in a great deal in this show. If you remember back when 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 we had the Klingons up scenes early on in the season, the Vox scenes, him being isolated, being the outsider, being ostracized, being criticized by the Klingon houses. Yeah, by the other Klingons. You're right. Is similar to how how Burnham was originally 
responded to by the crew of the Discovery and and even the crew of the other well not only that the way she grew up she was never felt to be she's always uh, been the outsider she's always been perceived but but again that's something that was that that the information about her life on Vulcan is something that was played out over a course of episodes and that we got to learn as we got to know more about her backstory but but immediately we saw how the gar the the other criminals that that she was originally on the the shuttle with and even the crew of the discovery initially responded to her and so she too was perceived as an outsider she had nobody or very few people that she could go and talk to or can confide in so so as they as they started to uh become you know more involved with each other i'm talking about you know Tyler and Michael then they really became to see each other as soulmates, that yes. they could confide in each other, right. that they could tell, you know, their darkest fears. Right. And so um, what I felt was one of the more touching scenes was in the last scene of this episode, Michael, as the captain of the Shenzhou, unexpectedly finds Tyler in her cabin. Mm. Now, Michael is still feeling a sense of remorse because she had to kill... Her, the mirror counterpart to Connor, you know, because right. we had said that he had become the captain of Shenzhou, and that's because he was going to kill her. Right. And so um, the, the the death was um, justified, but still she feels a sense of remorse. And that's a good battle scene, too. I mean, that was actually a good fight scene. Oh, excellent fight scene. So in her room, when she sees Tyler standing before her in her quarters, she recognized he is deeply troubled, from what she thinks is, you know, this post-traumatic stress that he's been feeling from his Klingon imprisonment. She knows this ordeal is affecting his performance. And in fact, she uh, a number of times has covered up his condition. Um, She's withheld information. Yeah, she withheld information from other people about his condition, right. even though he may pose a threat to himself and the crew. She did. She did that. When they went on to the ship of the dead in in episode nine, she does it again as he's having trouble working the this the trying to get the data core out of the Vulcan ship so they can find out more about this universe. And she also knows he has another traumatic he has another uh, trauma experience there PSD experience yeah. when he's going through that. And she also knows that he has some sort of really a relationship with Laurel and that that is affecting him quite deeply. And so, you know, that's something you want to keep an eye on, right. you know? Right. And so yet at this time that, you know, Tyler's in her room and she can see that he's trouble. It is Tyler who seeks to comfort her. And then he tells her, I heard about what happened with Connor. Whatever you do, Whatever this place makes you do, whatever happens to you or me, however we change, I am here to protect you. Nothing will stand in the way of that. Nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And she answers back, I'm saying it back. That's because she, as she grabs him and she caresses his head and, um, to her breast. So, yeah. so I'm telling you, if you are not moved by that scene, then you need to go ask the Wizard of Oz for a heart. 
<laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. All right, okay, all right. So, so, but one thing, the thing about that, it he in in how he says that, he says whatever you do, whatever this place makes you do, whatever happens to you or to me, however we change, however we change. He's he's signaling more that he knows he's how. Well, he just killed. Culber before he goes right, he knows that. So he knows that there is something wrong with him that is potentially dangerous. Right. And what he's trying to, what he's trying to say to her in this moment, more than than just the circumstances that they're going through, of trying to masquerade as people who they aren't. He's saying that he's here to protect her, and I think that's important because, I think that I think it's his relationship with her. That caused the triggering effect that Laurel was trying to do to not work. Right. Because right. if you remember back in episode nine, when he and Cornwell are being attacked by the Klingons and he's still traumatized, the thing that she says, that Cornwell says to him that snaps him out is he reminds she reminds him that Burnham is gonna come and get us, that Burnham is here. And it's actually being reminded of Michael that makes him snap out of his own trauma. Well, she tells him, she said, Michael needs you. Michael needs you. Yeah. And it's that that snaps him out of, that snaps him out of his trauma that causes him to be able to pick up that Klingon disruptor and kill those Klingons that were that were shooting at That's them. That's right. And That's so right. he's able to he's able to call the ship. He's re- he recognizes that they're going to be beamed out, and, that's that, right. and he tells them that they have to beam out the admiral as well. But I think that that's also going on here. Now here's the irony, and I want to add this in because I think this is important before we move on to the next subject. Um, if okay, Vok T- Tyler is Vok. He has been altered so that he could be a sleeper to get onto the Discovery to, for what? To capture the ship and to kill Takuvma's killer. Right. Takuvma's killer is Michael. That's right. So the irony of this situation is, is that the person who is helping him maintain stability in the Tyler persona is the person that originally Vok, the other personality within him, has been devoted to actually killing. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. And and I think that what's eventually gonna come out is the battle for his soul is gonna be related between his feelings towards Michael that's or, right. or Vok's feelings towards Laurel. And that's gonna be that's gonna really be what's gonna tear him. So this is there's going to be a lot of psychological drama that I think that's going to play out over the next five episodes that are going to really enhance this. Well, I also want to bring to bear another scene that happened earlier in this episode, too, that um, that, that informs us about what is going to happen. And that is, uh, you remember there, you know, this is after he has seen Laurel and he's again traumatized right, by, right. by seeing her. Right, right. And... You know, Michael can see that he's, you know, upset. Mm-hmm. And he says, he takes her hand and he says, you know, let me just try to work through this. Don't, you know, report this, right. you know, right away. And and she agrees to it, even though this is not logical. Right. What her agreeing to this is not logical. She's 
definitely being uh, influenced by her love for him. And so then, you know, they're called, she's called to the bridge mm-hmm. and she says, duty calls. Right. And so that may see initially on the surface seem like a throwaway line, but it's not because duty calls what does that mean for him? Mm-hmm. You know, as Tyler, what does that mean for him as Vok? And what what is that going to mean for her? Yeah. So all of this is going to play out, and it all builds to what is going to be a quite a tragic moment. Right. You know, when they come to this realization, when she comes to the realization about who he is, and he's going to have to make a choice. Right, because if you think, if you take all the elements that we've got now, here we are, we have this ship with this immense power, the spore drive, they're in a hostile universe. Mm-hmm. There are no allies. There, there, with the exception of maybe some of the rebels, there are no natural allies for them in this universe. All they have are themselves. And now they're divided between the Discovery and the Shinzu. And on this, we have a Klingon prisoner on the Discovery whose who's real intent is to capture the ship and destroy and destroy the leadership, take it over. We have a sleeper agent in in Tyler, and we have we're confident in saying this. We have a man masquerading as Prime Lorca when he actually he is Mirror, Mirror Lorca, Lorca. Mm-hmm. who who's who's full who's objectives what he's trying to go after still are not clear we know that what he was trying to do before was take take over the the, empire he was he was going to take over the empire he was going to um he was going to overthrow the emperor and that's the reason why he's he's a wanted man so we're assuming that that's still his intent the title of the episode and how that relates to a larger meaning I mean, if you think about it, the meaning of the title, at least my interpretation, is that it's doing something or doing things that one did not expect to or intend to do given past behavior or thought processes. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what you're basically doing is, is you see that manifested in a number of the characters. And three particularly I want to talk about. Number one, Tyler. Tyler thinks of himself as an honorable officer sworn to defend the ideals of the federation yet he's conflicted with these with this violent with these violent tendencies to the, that are manifest in him killing uh Colbert in the sick bay with cadet Killy, Tilly Sylvia she aspires to be an admired captain I mean, that's one of the things that we learned about her early on in the show. Somebody worthy of the rank. And and in fact, she allows herself to be mentored by Michael so that she can acquire some of the skills necessary to, to do that in the future. In this universe, however, she is already a captain and she is a very feared captain indeed. And that's just not the personality of Tilly. And yet she has to manifest those qualities as a, of a ruthless officer, somebody who's called Captain Killy. Which and, and a, has a whole other several other names, talking about her brutality and her violence, um, without a person without any kind of moral compass, which is not who Tilly is, mm-hmm. and and the third person that we see manifesting that is Michael herself, 
Although she's raised as a Vulcan, Michael must function in a world in which the Vulcans are her enemies. And logic takes a back seat to a sense of terror and brutality. In fact, I thought she did a really good job of analyzing part of what was the challenge in this environment. There, the, the constant fear of being um, overthrown or killed or attacked by an, uh, an enemy around any corner. She said the fear is actually what keeps them solid. But in actuality, I think what it does, is, and she said this, is that it's, it's painted rust, which was a wonderful image oh, to yeah, put out there. Definitely. Painted rust because it gives you the impression that you've done a job to cover up the challenges, but it, it didn't strengthen the, 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 the quality of the the material the ship the the no, car there's whatever cor- there's corruption there's, corru- there's corrosion that's eventually it, going to just weaken and destroy you right and so I I love that idea of painted yeah. rust as yeah. the way she perceives this universe she comp- she understands this universe and I think it's partly because of her Vulcan training but she knows that she has to put that in her back pocket while she acts like this very ruthless commander and and. And also, uh, there's something else we want to say about this episode, and that is uh, those who uh, have seen the episode knows that they talk about the USS Defiant, and the the USS Defiant, as you can tell by the name, means that this came from the Prime Universe. Right, exactly. That this is a ship that came, this is not a, a, a ship that evolved out of the uh, out of this mirror universe. So, um, so in future episodes we know that at least the next episode is going to be important to uh, the plot of um, of the series and so we want to spend um, more time looking at this in detail over the hiatus Gary and I both watched all of the mirror uh, episodes right from from the original episode in the original series to the five episodes in deep space nine to the two-parter that was in Enterprise, all of those episodes. So um, so we want to talk about those episodes and also how the Defiant um, uh, may come to play in this episode. Right, because actually the Defiant is part is, is an element in this, the two-part episode in um, Star Trek Enterprise. So we anxiously look forward to the next episode, uh, episode 11, entitled The Wolf Inside. In the episode trailer, we see Stamets tenderly holding his murdered husband. Um, and we also see a mirror version of Sarek. With goatee. With a goatee, <laughs> right. Attempting a mind meld with Michael. As well, we see another scene in which Michael is wrapped intimately in Tyler's arms. Mm -hmm. And she tells him, maybe none of us knows what darkness is waiting inside. Yep, yep. So from what we know about these characters and their inner turmoil uh, and their unspoken agendas and unforeseen twists of fate, we can expect more jarring revelations evoked by the ironically inhumane circumstances that has enveloped, enveloped their lives. Oh, wow. You know, ironically inhumane circumstances. That's them, right. them some special kind of circumstances. That's right. That's right. So, so now it's your turn. Uh, please communicate with us on Twitter at 
Star Trek AOD, or at our Facebook page, facebook.com, Star Trek AOD. Um, let us know how will Culber return to Discovery? Um, how will Stamets continue to evolve? What do you think is Laurel's endgame? Um, I've given you my impressions. What's yours? How soon will Michael learn of Tyler's true identity? And f- finally, what will be the mirror, the mirror universe, Sarek's relationship with Michael Burnham? I think I think um, our listeners could also talk about, you know, what do they think the role of the USS Defiance going to be in, you know, these plans, right, you know. Right. So, um, so until then, live long and prosper. <laughs>